Chapter Fourteen of When a Man Marries by Mary Roberts Reinhardt. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Almost, but not quite. Dal had been acting strangely all day. Once, early in the evening, when I had doubled no trump, he led me a club without apology, and later on, during his dummy, I saw him writing our names on the back of an envelope and putting numbers after them. At my earliest opportunity I went to Max. "'There is something the matter with Dal, Max,' I volunteered. "'He has been acting strangely all day, and just now he was making out a list. Names and numbers.' you're to blame for that kit max said seriously you put washing soda instead of baking soda in those biscuits today, and he thinks he is a steam laundry those are laundry lists he's making out he asked me a little while ago if i wanted a domestic finish yes i had put washing soda in the biscuits the book said soda and how is one to know which is meant i do not think you are calculated for a domestic finish I said coldly as i turned away in any case i disclaim any such responsibility but there is something on dal's mind max came after me don't be cross kit you haven't said a nice word to me today, and you go around bristling with your chin up and two red spots on your cheeks like whatever her name was with the snakes instead of hair i don't know why i'm so crazy about you I always meant to love a girl with a nice disposition. I left him then. Dal had gone into the reception room and closed the doors, and because he had been acting so strangely, and partly to escape from Max, whose eyes looked threatening, I followed him. Just as I opened the door quietly and looked in, Dallas switched off the lights, and I could hear him groping his way across the room. Then somebody, not Dal, spoke from the corner cautiously is that you mr brown sir it was flanagan yes is everything here all but the powder sir don't step too close they're spread all over the place have you taken the curtains down yes sir matches here sir light one will you flanagan i want to see the time the flare showed dallas and flanagan bent over the timepiece and it showed something else. The rug had been turned back from the windows which opened on the street, and the curtains had been removed. On the bare hardwood floor just beneath the windows was an array of pans of various sizes, dishpans, cake tins, and a metal foot-tub. The pans were raised from the floor on bricks, and seemed to be full of paper. All the chairs and tables were pushed back against the wall, and the bric-a-brac was stacked on the mantel. Half an hour yet, Dal said, closing his watch. Plenty of time, and remember the signal. Four short and too long. Four short and too long. All right, sir. And, Flanagan, here's something for you, on account. Thank you, sir. Dal turned to go out, tripped over the rug, said something, and passed me without any idea of my presence. A moment later Flanagan went out, and I was left, huddled against the wall and alone. It was puzzling enough, four long and two short, all but the powder. Not that I believed for a moment what Max had said, and anyhow Flanagan was the sanest person I ever saw in my life. 
but it all seemed a part of a mystery that had been hanging over us for several days i felt my way across the room and knelt by the pans yes they were there full of paper and mounted on bricks it had not been a delusion and then i straightened on my knees suddenly for an automobile passing under the windows had sounded four short honks and two long ones the signal was followed instantly by a crash the footbath had fallen from its supports and lay quivering and vibrating with horrid noises at my feet the next moment mr haberson had thrown open the door and leaped into the room who's there he demanded against the light i could see him reaching for his hip pocket and the rest crowding up around him it's only me i quavered that is i the the dishpan upset dishpan bella said from back in the crowd kit of course jim forced his way through then and turned on the lights i have no doubt i looked very strange kneeling there on the bare floor with a row of pans mounted on bricks behind me and the furniture all piled on itself in a back corner kit what in the world jim began and stopped he stared from me to the pans to the windows to the bric-a-brac on the mantel and back to me i sat stonily silent why should i explain whenever i got into a foolish position and tried to explain and tell how it happened and who was really to blame they always brought it back to me somehow so i sat there on the floor and let them stare and finally lolly mercer got her breath and said how perfectly lovely it's a charade and anne guessed kitchen at once kit you know and the pans and all that she said vaguely at that they all took to guessing and i sat still until mr haberson saw the storm in my eyes and came over to me have you hurt your ankle he said in an undertone let me help you up i am not hurt i said coldly and even if i were it would be unnecessary to trouble you i cannot help being troubled he returned just as evenly you see it makes me ill for days if my car runs over a dog luckily at that moment dow came in he pushed his way through the crowd without a word shut off the lights crashed through the pans and slammed the shutters closed then he turned and addressed the rest of all the lunatics he began only there was more to it than that a fellow goes to all kinds of trouble to put an end to this miserable situation and the entire household turns out and sets to work to frustrate the whole scheme you like to stay here don't you like chickens in a coop where's flanagan nobody understood dow's wrath then but it seems he meant to arrange the plot himself and when it was ripe and the hour nearly come he intended to wager that he could break the quarantine and to take any odds he could get that he would free the entire party in a half an hour as for the plan itself it was idiotically simple we were perfectly delighted when we heard it it was so simple and yet so comprehensive we didn't see how it could fail both the mercer girls kissed dow on the strength of it and anne was furious jim was not so much pleased for some reason or other and mr haberson looked thoughtful rather than merry aunt selina had gone to bed the idea 
of course was to start an embryo fire just inside the windows in the pans to feed it with the orange fire powder that is used on the fourth of july and when we had thrown open the windows and yelled fire and all the guards and reporters had rushed to the front of the house to escape quietly by a rear door from the basement kitchen get into machines dal had in waiting and lose ourselves as quickly as we could you see how simple it was we were terribly excited of course everyone rushed madly for motor coats and veils and dal shuffled the numbers so the people going the same direction would have the same machine we called to each other as we dressed about Mamoronek or Lakewood or wherever we happened to have relatives. Everybody knew everybody else and his friends. The Mercer girls were going to cruise until the trouble blew over. The Browns were going to Pinehurst, and Jim was going to Africa to hunt, if he could get out of the harbor. Only the Haberson man seemed to have no plans. Quite suddenly, with the world so near again, the world of country houses and steam yachts and all the rest of it, he ceased to be one of us. It was not his world at all. He stood back and watched the kaleidoscope of our coats and veils, half quizzically, but with something in his face that I had not seen there before. If he had not been so self-reliant and big, I would have said he was lonely. Not that he was pathetic, in any sense of the word of course he avoided me which was natural and exactly what i wished bella never was far from him and at the last she loaded him with her jewel case and a muff and travelling bag and asked him to her cousins on long island i felt sure he was going to decline when he glanced across at me do go i said very politely they are charming people and he accepted at once it was a transparent plot on bella's part two elderly maiden ladies house miles from anywhere long evenings in the music-room with an open fire and bella at the harp playing the two songs she knows when we were ready and gathered in the kitchen in the darkness of course dal went up on the roof and signalled with a lantern to the cars on the drive then he went downstairs took a last look at the drawing-room fired the papers shook on the powder opened the windows and yelled fire of course huddled in the kitchen we had heard little or nothing but we plainly heard dal on the first floor and flanagan on the second yelling fire and the patter of feet as the guards ran to the front of the house and at that instant we remembered aunt selina that was the cause of the whole trouble i don't know why they turned on me she wasn't my aunt but by the time we had got her out of bed and had wrapped her in the elder down comfort and stuck slippers on her feet and a motor veil on her head the glare at the front of the house was beginning to die away she didn't understand it all and we had no time to explain i remember that she wanted to go back and get her plate whatever that may be but jim took her by the arm and hurried her along and the rest who had waited and were in awful tempers stood aside and let them out first the door to the area steps was open, and by the street lights we could see a fence and a gate, which opened on a side street. Jim and Aunt Selina ran straight for the gate, the wind blowing Aunt Selina's comfort like a sail. Then with our feet, so to speak, on the first rungs of the ladder of liberty, it slipped. A half a dozen guards and reporters came around the house and drove us back like sheep into the slaughter pen. It was the most humiliating moment of my life. 
Dow had been fighting a way through, and just for a minute I think I went berserk myself. But Max spied one of the reporters setting up a flashlight as we stood, undecided, at the top of the steps, and after that there was nothing to do but retreat. We backed down slowly to show them we were not afraid, and when we were all in the kitchen again and had turned on the lights, and Bella was crying with her head against Mr. Haberson's arm, Dow said cheerfully, well it has done some good anyhow we have lost aunt selina and we all shook hands on it although we were sorry about jim and dow said we would have some champagne and drink to aunt selina's comfort and we could have her teeth fumigated and send them to her somebody said poor old jim and at that bella looked up she stared around the group and then she went quite pale jim she gasped do you mean that jim is out there too jim and aunt selina i said as calmly as i could for joy you can see how it simplified the situation for me by this time they are a mile away and going everybody shook hands again except bella she had dropped into a chair and sat biting her lip and breathing hard and she would not join in any of the hilarity at getting rid of aunt selina finally she got up and knocked over her chair you are a lot of cowards she stormed you deserted them out there left them heaven knows where they are a defenseless old woman and and a man who did not even have an overcoat and it is snowing never mind dal said reassuringly he can borrow aunt selina's comfort make the old lady discard from weakness anyhow bella if i know anything of human nature the old lady will make it hot enough for him poor old jim then they shook hands again, and with that there came a terrible banging at the door, which we had locked. "'Open the door!' someone commanded. It was one of the guards. "'Open it yourself!' Dallas called, moving a kitchen table to reinforce the lock. "'Open that door, or we will break it in!' Dallas put his hands in his pockets, seated himself on the table, and whistled cheerfully. We could hear them conferring outside, and they made another appeal which was refused. Suddenly Bella came over and confronted Dallas. "'They have brought them back,' she said dramatically. "'They are out there now.' I distinctly heard Jim's voice. "'Open that door, Dallas.' "'Oh, don't let them in,' I wailed. It was quite involuntary, but the disappointment was too awful. "'Dallas, don't open that door.' Dal swung his feet and smiled from Bella to me. "'Think what a solution it is to all our difficulties,' he said easily. "'Without Aunt Selina, I could be happy here indefinitely.' There was more knocking, and somebody, Max, I think, said to let them in, that it was a full thing anyhow, and that he wanted to go to bed and forget it. His feet were cold. And just then there was a crash, and part of one of the windows fell in. The next blow from outside brought the rest of the glass, and somebody was coming through, feet first. It was Jim. He did not speak to any of us, but turned and helped in a bundle of red and yellow silk comfort that proved to be Aunt Selina, also feet first. I had a glimpse of a half a dozen heads outside, guards and reporters. Then Jim jerked the shade down and unswathed Aunt Selina's legs so that she could walk, offered his arm and stalked past us and upstairs without a word none of us spoke 
we turned out the lights and went upstairs and took off our wraps and went to bed it had been almost a fiasco end of chapter fourteen